Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Rowing Chat. I'm Rebecca Caro, and I founded the Rowing Chat Network of Podcasts to bring podcast discussions about the sport of rowing to a wider audience. Today, I have a short message from our sponsors, without whom we wouldn't be able to be broadcasting. Our first sponsor is the Rowing Retailer Directory. Have you ever wondered how many different rowing shoe suppliers there are out there or where to find a really good rowing gift for the Christmas holidays? I'm announcing the launch of the Rowing Retailer Directory. It's compiled into 16 different categories that range from oars to ergs, from repairs to photographers. You're guaranteed to find exactly what you're looking for and you'll find it on rowing.chat forward slash retailer. Please have a browse around. If you spot someone who you think should be there and isn't, you can either let them know or let us know. You can also add your own rowing business or a business that you like um, on the link on that home page. So it's rowing.chat forward slash retailer. And secondly, the Rowing Tales book 2020 is now published. This is the book that I curate and edit of anecdotes, stories, triumphs and disasters, which I pick up and collect from people who often are guests on this show, but also are people who write about what they're doing in their rowing lives online. It's now available for publication. It's the fourth edition, so I've done one every year since 2017. And you can pick it up on Amazon. You can buy it from rowperfect.co.uk. If you'd like all four books, so one from each year at a special discounted price, you can buy it direct from me. The full price is £70 UK and you can buy it for £35 plus the cost of shipping. Just contact me at rebecca at caro.com and I'd be happy to work it out for you. Now, today, my guest is Stephen Dowd. Steve, welcome to Road Chat. Hi, Rebecca. Thank you for having me on. So let's talk about why you're here, because you're probably the youngest rower in terms of the longevity of your experience in this sport that I've ever had. Am I right? You've been rowing for three months. Yes, literally just three months. Uh, so I won't claim to be the uh, the, the sage of rowing, but uh, I've discovered a, a new sport and I'm fantastically ambitious about it. Let's roll back to your personal history and why three months ago you decided that rowing was the thing for you. What happened to you? So, yeah, it was. It, it goes back a little further than three months, my, my personal story. Um, we're talking 2016, June, uh, summer months. I was training for a bike ride, uh, which is called Ride London. It's, I live in London, and it's an event that's 100 miles uh, in total. They close down the roads, go around the kind of major landmarks, and it's a charity event. Uh, I'd been convinced to sign up for this by one of the guys that was on my team uh, at work. He's a bit of an iron man and uh, loves a big challenge. I wasn't that guy at all. I wasn't really a cyclist at all, but it sounded like a fantastic opportunity. And I was at the time working for BMY Mellon, who I'm sure you guys will know. Uh, I used to run recruitment for the investment management business there. And so as I was training for this Ride London event, I was cycling down to my friend Dan's house. And unfortunately, I didn't get there. 
I hit a barrier I didn't see. And as I went over the top of that barrier, I landed on my head. Ooh. And he landed on my head. I immediately broke my neck and suffered a spinal cord injury that left me entirely uh, lost below the neck. So no arms, no legs, nothing in between, uh, completely paralyzed. Gosh. And obviously really, really unexpected. So that was June 2016, rushed to hospital. Hmm. Absolutely. A bit of time's passed since then, and you're clearly moving more than just your head. So I'm hoping this is a good story. There is a, a somewhat of a happy ending. It's true. Um, so, but I was taken off to St George's Hospital, which is a major hospital here in London, and uh, I was told by my consultant that my injury was so devastating they just didn't know what I was going to get back. Yeah, I could have spent the rest of my life in a power chair, driving around with my mouth, um, and it was a pretty, for me, a, a pretty bleak future that they were they were describing. Uh, however, which is a great word to hear at that point in the conversation, uh, however, uh, they were also running a clinical research trial, uh, which is an experimental trial. It was funded by a group called Wings for Life, a spinal cord injury foundation, and uh, are an international foundation. They fund the best research for spinal cord injury uh, around the world, wherever that is, with one goal of trying to find a cure for spinal cord injury paralysis. And they said to me, or my consultant said to me, because we have these 50 spaces uh, that are funded by Wings for Life and you would potentially be a great candidate for that if you wanted to get involved, then we can't make any promises, but we can't make it any worse. So why don't you get involved and have a go and uh, and see if that might give you a foundation for recovery. So uh, I had a conversation with my wife. We had a very somewhat dark conversation in some ways uh, because for me, I decided that whilst other people can live fantastic lives and full proud lives in wheelchairs uh, in that way, uh, it's a very personal situation, very personal injury. I decided that actually that wasn't what I wanted for my life at 37. Uh, and it wasn't what I wanted for Helen either. You know, I didn't want, uh, I didn't want to be wholly dependent on her or nor give her the, um, the responsibility for, for that. So we decided if that was going to be the case, then I'd book a one-way ticket to Switzerland and I'd, uh, I'd check out. Uh, it was a pretty dark, uh, dark decision. Uh, luckily, uh, that didn't happen that way. And where I was co-opted onto the trial, uh, it did give me a foundation uh, to begin a fairly against the odds recovery, really. Um, so, yeah, so that's where we that's where we are. Medical details. What did the Wings for Life charity intervention do? So what happened with me is I, where I, I, I snapped the ligament on the back of my neck and I um, dislocated my neck effectively. And for those that don't know, you have seven bones in your neck. Mine's between three and four. So it's really high and it's banging in the middle of my neck. Um, as it was moving around, uh, because it was unstable, it crushed and bent my spinal cord. That's where I damaged it. But I didn't sever it. And that was really important because the prognosis of someone with a severed spinal cord, a cut spinal cord, is that really is bleak um, and it's not impossible but it really is bleak so I was very lucky I didn't have that level of injury but I still did have a serious injury and where the uh, bruising within the spinal cord itself uh, was moving up and down through the spinal cord because it's it's held in by a really tough membrane called the dura um, the, the the bruising was spreading and as the bruising was spreading then I ran the risk of nerve death uh, and if the nervous cells would die, then my incomplete injury, which is a better type of injury, if there is one, um, could easily have become a complete injury uh, just through time. Uh -huh. So, yeah, it was important that I got to me very quickly, which they did. You know, within 24 hours, I, from my point of injury, I was in and out of surgery and I was in intensive care. 
um, and they were monitoring and, and reducing the bruising on the spinal cord through both physical intervention and drug um, intervention as well. Um, and they were able to reduce the bruising considerably to the point where I could save a lot of that nervous tissue, which right. gave me a much better prognosis of recovery. And that was the Wings for Life? That was the Wings for Life trial, yeah. So that particular trial was called iScope. Um, and they were funded at that time. They were funded for 50 uh, people. And I was number 45. Um, so if, if purely coincidental. I mean, if I'd have been there if six people later, I wouldn't have been on that trial. Uh, and I can hand on heart to honestly say that I believe that that trial gave me a fantastic foundation to be able to then try and get a recovery from there. So across all the people who've done the Wings for Life um, iScope trial, do you know what the success rate was for the other people? Uh, not specifically. Um, however, they had enough. Uh, I'm an outlier still uh, to that trial. So my recovery is by far a much better outcome than most that have had it. Def, but that said, uh, they had had enough of a positive response that they were able to refund it for another 50 people. Mm -hmm. um, is going through that process i believe still going through the process today and um, so they haven't released the stats there but if that does go well then obviously that could potentially become an actual treatment for the right. yeah so basically it's the transition from trying it out to actually it becoming a mainstream clinical procedure absolutely that well congratulations for being part of that and i'm very happy that your promise to your wife didn't happen but you told me you made another promise to her i did i did so i was lying in intensive care um, and this is day two after my surgery. I still can't move below the neck. I'm still just a pair of eyes on a pillow. Um, but my, I'd, I'd had this hope given to me through this surgery that we may be in a position to, to build something forwards. But I needed a really bold, ambitious goal. I couldn't just kind of live it day by day and hope that things go well. Hope is not really a strategy. Uh, so I made a promise to Helen. Uh, I, I looked across to her and I said, what's 200 days from now? She said, it, she worked it out and she said, it's December the 22nd. Why is that? And I said, give me Christmas day and I'll be back to normal. Ooh. And I kind of closed my eyes and went back to my little world of pain. But I had, now I had this bold, ambitious promise. I had that gold medal winning level goal of I'm going to, within 200 days, not just be better, but I'm going to be back to normal. Um, and I used that bold, ambitious promise to Helen as my daily motivation to just try and fail a thousand times a day often to try and get something to move, just to try and get the smallest of incremental wins. And, um, and much like your, your rowers would know, uh, you don't win gold medals by doing anything other than stroke by stroke. And that was exactly what I was doing. I was spending every day just taking the next stroke, the next stroke, the next stroke. And, and it was, yeah, that was what I used to, to build forwards from there with that level of ambition and, and that level of challenge to myself. Uh, you've shared a wonderful uh, video with us, which I'm just going to play, which is called The 200 Days Promise After Spinal Cord Injury. And this is Christmas Day 2016. Well, that's definitely proof in the pudding that you did it. Absolutely. So I, I kind of... Uh, I, I had a massive rocky montage that happened ahead of that. Obviously, you can imagine me going from a pair of eyes and a pillow, but 
that day 200, I was able to walk our Christmas turkey to the table, which was an intense ending to uh, to an intense six months of, of hard graft and lots of ups and downs. I mean, obviously, it doesn't just it it doesn't just happen, and it's it's all wonderful. In fact, we had lots of dark moments as well as the highs. But um, by celebrating every stroke, by celebrating every win, as if it were Christmas Day on its own, it meant that over those 200 days, I was able to build upon each and every win and just keep moving forwards until eventually I was where we just saw in that video. Uh, so yeah, Christmas Day, my house, 2016. Yeah, welcome to my house. <laughs> and it's the 22nd of December today. And it is the 22nd today, totally uh, 21st today. Uh, but yeah, coincidentally. Now, as a part of that process of a big goal with lots of incremental steps, you started to learn a lot about both the mind and the body approach to achievement. What happened after that first Christmas day? So after that first Christmas day, I decided that I'd I'd got to that point where, you know, like like gold medalists would do or Olympians would do, where you, you build up to an event. Um, that particular event is your sole focus. It's the thing that means the most to you, and you put every hour of every day into it. And I'd been doing that very thing for the best part of six months. Um, Christmas Day rolls around, and that's effectively game day. That's event day. Yeah. Uh, but then Boxing Day happens. Uh, so you've done the thing, but then what's the next day? It's just Wednesday, right? It's just like another day. Um, and I found myself sat on my on my sofa thinking, I need another goal. I can't just rest on my laurels of what I've done. I'm really proud of what I'd achieved. And obviously it made a massive difference to our lives. Um, but that wasn't going to be good enough to just know that that had happened. I needed to keep moving forwards and achieving more stuff. And, and I wasn't back to normal. I'm still not back to normal. I still have elements of paralysis. And um, and there, there are lots of, 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 uh, of situations where, where I feel my paralysis uh, today, although I'm far better than I was. Um, but I started to create challenges for myself. I started to, to see the value in challenge um, by setting bold level ambitious goals and then getting there day by day. And I thought, right, let's rinse and repeat this. I need something new. What else can I do? Uh, so I decided before I told my wife, actually, which is a bad idea, never doing that order. Uh, I uh, told Facebook that I was going to get back on the very bike that I had my injury on and I was going to cycle the 100 miles that I didn't get to do because my injury had obviously stopped me doing the Ryan London event. And I was going to do that in 200 days from then. So another right. Another 200 days. So that became known as the hashtag 200 days challenge. Uh, which saw me get back on the bike, another crazy Rocky montage and five hours a day in physio and all of our money in terms of rehabilitation costs. It was just uh, very expensive, both time and, and financially. Mm. Um, I was able to fast forward 200 days, um, get back on the bike that I fell from. Uh, I wasn't riding on the road. Uh, I still am not allowed to ride on the road. My wife and I still haven't quite agreed that one yet. Um, hopefully it will happen at some point. Um, but I found myself on a turbo trainer. So this was the first experience I'd ever had with an ERG. Uh, so again, for those that don't know, a turbo trainer, you take your back wheel off, you hook it up to what's effectively an ERG, uh, and, and you cycle in, in a Zwift environment in my case. So like a virtual environment, which mirrored the ride London course, which was happening on the very day, uh, outside the very doors that I was, uh, behind the building that I was in. So 200 days later, I'm at Red Bull headquarters and I'm oh. fulfilling the 200 days challenge on the same day as Ride London, which is only a year after the one that I should have done. 
Um, so yeah, it was a pretty uh, a pretty epic moment actually, a pretty epic time. Does it include all the hills and everything? It does, yeah. It takes you up into the Surrey Hills and back again. And uh, it's a, sh a slightly shorter version, but you have to do a couple of loops of it. But it is 100 miles um, and it changes at the wheel, so at yeah. the earth. It, it puts in the extra strain as you're going uphill and things as well. So it's as close to riding on the road as, as you can get um, without being on the road. But yeah, it was intensely hard, intensely difficult. I mean, it was. 100 miles is a long way. And for an, even, an able bodied person who hasn't had a spinal injury the year before, Absolutely. And I'd, I'd promised the world that I was going to do it in six hours. Uh, so, which in itself was a little bit hubris on my point. I, I didn't quite realize this. I was so busy saying, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And six hours feels like the right time. And it was only afterwards when I look back on what I'd promised the world before the injury, when I'd said I'd do it in six and a half hours. So now I've got to do it with a spinal cord injury and half an hour quicker than I'd promised before. Uh, so yeah, it was a bit intense. And uh, so, so to put that into context, I mean, that meant that every minute of a six hour ride, I had to be keeping a 17 mile an hour average, which is a pretty fair clip on a, on a bike, right? So, um, so yeah, it was, it was good. Um, but I managed it. I got there. Uh, and not only did I beat my six hours, I got there Hollywood style. I got there in five hours, 59 minutes and 40 seconds. So I was perfectly packed. <laughs> wow. I bet that finishing sprint was something. Oh, my God. I felt like Chris Froome. It was ridiculous. I actually thought there was a moment in there, and maybe this is a lesson to us all. There was a moment in there where I thought, I'm not going to make this. And uh, it was only when I was able to get my head down and just pump hard. And, and ju I just thought to myself, I've not crossed the line yet. So I can't, I, I can't beat myself before I've even finished. So, and I think a lot of us go through that process, right? We talk ourselves out of a win even before we cross the finish line. And I was in that same boat. And I just went, Steve, you've not come this far to not just give it your best. So I put my head down and I just pumped my little legs as quickly as I could. And it was only when everyone around me roared that I looked up to see that I'd passed the finish line. I'd done my 100 miles. And then I saw the time and, and that I was just 20 seconds short of the uh, of the goal. So, yeah, it was pretty incredible. Hooray for Hollywood. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll sell the film rights one day. <laughs> So rowing was a new challenge you chose after that. Yeah, it was. So just before we get to the rowing piece, there was a couple of bits that really stuck out for me. And it, I saw the value, as we mentioned earlier, so I really saw the value of challenge, uh, challenge to myself uh, and what that could do for me both physically and mentally. Um, but also I started to think to myself, I'm incredibly lucky that I've been through this process. Now, don't be wrong, I'm not going to undermine my in intense amounts of hard work because a lot of it comes out of hard work but I was very lucky to be in the right place at the right time surrounded by the right people um, the stars aligned in terms of the surgery and that was happening at the time and and my friends and family and everyone that's involved in in this sort of thing um, but I really saw the value in what I'd been through and how I might be able to use that for other people as well uh, so by being a little bit addicted to challenge and the benefits that that could bring I started creating other challenges for other people to get involved so that they can move from that comfortable middle where we all kind of live and, and understandably so, uh, but you can move to the outer edges. You can go into your discomfort zone. You, know, you can go into the, the edges of the screen in, in a call like this. Um, and what happens over there, that's the interesting bit. You know, not when you're not testing yourself, but when you're really at your extremes. I think people often learn a lot about themselves in that moment. So I developed a few other challenges. We did another cycling event. I learned to ski for the first time. 
Uh, I learned to run again and took part in a few different running events, uh, particularly the Wings for Life World Run, which is an incredible event. Um, all around the world, everyone runs at the very same moment in time around the world. Um, and then over lockdown, uh, in kind of support of another person who had a spinal cord injury, a guy called Ed Jackson, uh, he's a professional rugby player who dove into the shallow end of a swimming pool, sadly, and and as he broke his neck, he lost everything, including his career. Um, and uh, so in, to, to kind of help him as he was deciding he wanted to walk up the stairs and virtually climb Everest at home, I said, I'll give that a go as well. So I thought I'd be climbing for the first day and kind of helping him out with some fundraising and, and publicity and things like that. And uh, did incredibly well. Nearly 50,000 pounds were raised on that particular event. And as I was climbing, I enjoyed the first day. Uh, well, I enjoyed his relative, I suppose, but I, yeah. I did the first day. Uh, and I got to the top and I thought, actually, you know what? I could probably carry on going with this and see how far I can go. Um, and I didn't stop climbing until three and a half days later. Uh, I'd done 12 hours a day on and off, uh, 25 minutes on, five minutes off uh, for 12 hour shifts over three and a half days. And I would climbed the equivalent of Mount Everest. So I came, I literally became the first quadriplegic to virtually summit Everest, which was, was intense, intense time. Wow. Yeah, it was. I was so proud of myself. I've got to say, I actually didn't think yeah. that a few times there. But, uh, but yeah, I, and I did the, what that. I did that thing that you do when you're standing at the top of a, of a great achievement. In this case, it was my virtual Everest. And I was talking to a, a journalist, and she said to me, "So that was amazing. What next?" <laughs> you kind of want to avoid the expletives at that point when you're still bleeding from the hips after three and a half hours of walking. But. Um, I said to her, I really fancy a rowing challenge. Yeah, I've done the erg thing with the bike challenges a couple of times. The indoor rowing event was effectively an indoor challenge, uh, like a static challenge. And rowing felt to me like something that would be a great full body challenge for me, uh, but also psychologically. Um, but something that would be very accessible to many people around the world. You know, there are millions of rowing machines out there in every corner of the planet. So maybe it's something we could do not just for Steve, but for everyone else that could get involved and, uh, and understand what rowing and the disciplines that rowing can bring. And then some of those lessons. Exactly. Well, hence the Enduro Challenge. Yes. So Enduro Challenge came about really because I wanted, with a backdrop of, of COVID, where everyone around the world is suffering with the same problems. There's fear, there's anxiety, there's isolation. Everyone is suffering with the same thing at the same time. And that's quite unusual, certainly in our lifetimes. So I thought, how could we use rowing as a way to bring everyone together to do something constructive at the very same moment in time? And I sat down with a piece of paper and sketched out what that might look like. And Enduro Challenge was born then. So to describe it, I suppose, it's uh, it's everyone everywhere pulling together, fundraising for spinal cord injury paralysis. But it breaks down as uh, what's set to be the world's biggest fully inclusive indoor rowing event for charity. And so it's going to break. It's going to effectively be a four hour erg that happens at the very same moment around the world. So for me in the UK, it will be, or for us in the UK, it will be February the 6th uh, and it will be 3 p.m. Uh, for four hours. But if you're in New York, it's 10 a.m. If you're in San Francisco, it's 7 a.m. If you're in Sydney, unfortunately for you guys down in that neck of the woods, it's going to be 2 a.m. Or, or whatever it is for, for wherever you are. Uh, so everyone everywhere at the same moment in time. Um, and that's going to be quite an event. We're looking to get 10,000 people on a rowing machine for those four hours 
And if we raise an average of about 100 quid a head, then that's a million quid in fundraising that will be done for Wings for Life Spinal Cord Injury Foundation. So we might together find a cure for paralysis. Wonderful. That is a seriously big goal, not just for you, but of course, a goal for all the rest of us as well, potentially. Let's have a look at the uh, video that you've put together that explains the challenge and how it's set up. It all happened in an instant. I didn't see the barrier. And as I hit the ground, just like that, I was paralyzed from the neck down. I was fortunate to be part of a Wings for Life clinical experimental trial, which not only gave me hope, but ultimately gave me back my mobility, my dignity, my future. Since then, I've created a series of charity challenges to help others explore their potential and to raise money for spinal cord injury research. I've always used bold, ambitious goals in my recovery journey. The boldest yet is Enduro Challenge. The world's biggest, fully inclusive indoor rowing event. Everyone, everywhere, pulling together. Row with us. Brilliant. So that summarizes everything. So there you have it. That's uh, that's Enduro in a nutshell. Um, but ultimately, I think if we can get uh, what I want to do really is inspire everyone everywhere to come together in a global community event that uses rowing. Um, rowing has a huge amount to teach us. And I've, I've learned in the last three months uh, for the sheer fact that, as I say, I knew nobody really and no one, uh, nothing about rowing. And in over 300 video calls of setting this up over the last three months, I've come to realize that the rowing community globally has a fantastically collegiate, passionate um, thread that runs through all of it. You know, everybody wants to be involved and everybody wants to help. So this is a great opportunity for us all to come together and do that very thing. Tell me, why do you think rowing has that? Honestly, I don't quite know. Uh, I meet a lot of different people through setting up this event. And I think there's been there's been an, an interesting trend that's happened with rowing because my view of rowing is probably very similar to a lot of non-rowers in as much as it's the most elite sport in the world right so you've got expensive boat clubs that no one can afford to go to unless you come from that background you've got groups of people who have their own language uh, which is exclusive and not particularly inclusive of a lot of stuff you don't you don't see uh, a lot of me in the rowing community, it doesn't really, it's not, it's not evident and, and visible and there's not a huge amount of role models there, I don't, I don't think, uh, until I started tapping into it. So now I've got a different view. Now I think those things do exist. I just don't think they're very well publicized and not very well spoken about. So maybe they, the challenge of rowing is more about a communication issue and a branding issue than it is about the people within the sport itself. Um, so everybody I've spoken to has been fantastically open and, and with the exception of one guy, literally one guy, um, everyone has said to me, this is a great idea. Welcome to the community. Thank you for being involved. Let's get the world together and help do this. Um, and it's been wonderful. So 
why it's that way, I don't really know, uh, but I don't think it needs to be. And we have a live watcher, Betsy, who says, wonderful too. <laughs> Thank you, Betsy. Thank you. So your challenges for motivation are clearly something that you've now taken on board, but you've made into a sort of product that you can reproduce. Let's leave sport aside for now and talk a little bit about how listeners might want to take that into their own lives. You know, the end of a year is a traditional time to reflect and then to make changes looking into the new year. And I, for one, can't wait to say good riddance to 2020. How do you see these challenges being a, a tool, a technique that people can learn? So I spent some time after I came out of my rehabilitation process um, when some people were asking me, how do you do it? What do you go through? Yeah, how do I then do that in my life kind of stuff? And my honest answer to that was, I don't really know. So that wasn't a good enough answer. I had to sit down and work that through. Um, and I wanted to make it a toolkit that people could use in their own life that they could have takeaways from practical toolkits, not just blue sky thinking, you know, I'm a big believer in, in uh, sort of positive mental attitude and you need those kind of things. But let's face it, all the positive thinking in the world is not going to make me levitate. You know, there are certain things that you just can't do. Um, but that doesn't mean to say that there are not ways in which you can approach difficult situations, difficult challenges. Um, and as a as just as a baseline, the one thing I would say is the definition of challenge is really important. So from my point of view, my nine out of 10 challenge, my 10 out of 10 challenge in this case was paralysis doesn't mean to say that the person listening to me speaking about my challenge has any less of a challenge. You know, it mm -hmm. might be less on paper, but actually in reality, their nine out of 10 challenge is still their nine out of 10 challenge, no matter what that looks like. There's yeah. no hierarchy in challenge, it's yours. Um, so I think that's really important to, to say uh, because it allows people the opportunity to not kind of limit what their challenge is or, or, or degrade what their challenge is. Um, and then I sat down and said, let's make it really easy. Let's turn the word challenge into a toolkit. So I did. Uh, I put nine tools behind each behind each letter of the word challenge that sits a tool. Um, so just to run through those quickly, the C of challenge is choose to respond effectively. Uh, you, you might not be able to change certain things, but you can respond in the way, or you can, you can own your own response to that. Um, so choose to respond effectively. The H is help others help you. So you're not, no man is an island, no woman is an island. You know, if you've got something that you need help with, then find that help and you will find that help if you look for it. And you need to, you need to facilitate those people to help you. The A was accept the situation. Now that's objectively accepting a situation. That's effectively looking at a situation as to what it is right now, not looking at what you want it to be or what you wished it was or looking at what you had before. Um, but understanding where you are right now, and that really gives you the power to move forwards without dragging the anchor of what you wanted it to be. The L is learned through trial and error. I think we've all been there, right? Um, be Darwinian about it. Try new stuff. If it works, keep it. If it doesn't work, lose it. But keep moving forwards and trying new things. Uh, and don't rest on your laurels. So if you if you keep trying things, even the, the things that used to work may not work anymore. So keep looking at them objectively too. Um, the second L was leverage all of your resources. 
So know what your resources are, be they financial, be they personal, people around you. Uh, Time is a huge resource that people don't really give much consideration to. But know where those things sit in your life so that when you do have challenges, you know how to mobilize them quickly. The E was engage. Get in the driver's seat. So many people live their life in the passenger seat and it's their life. You you do have the ability to change things in your life. But if you engage with your situation, the chances of you getting the outcome that you really want are that much greater. The N was never quit. Uh, Mm. Never quit. Different to giving up. Different to stopping, I should say. Stopping can be the right thing to do. If you evaluate the situation and stopping is the right answer, then that's okay. But quitting is different. Most people do that when they've done the hard yards. They're 90% of the way there and it's just too hard to keep on going and they give up. And that's the difference between maybe some of your great rowers versus some of your good rowers. Um, So yeah, never never quit. The G was grow. Uh, So that was about goal setting. You know, whenever I did any of my things, I had a bold, ambitious goal. But as soon as I hit that goal, I immediately set a new goal. Uh, that could be a small goal through the course of the day, maybe sometimes more than one in a day, as well as the bigger goals, but making sure that you're growing by setting new goals and moving forward. And uh, the E was, uh, what was the other E? Sorry, where did we go? Sorry, G. And then the final E was ease up. So accept that you're not always going to be on top of your game. You're not always going to make the right decision. You're sometimes going to be wrong. You're sometimes going to fall backwards. And that's okay. Yeah, that's very human to do, um, but also you don't throw the baby out of the bathwater. If you're doing well and you're moving forwards over time, then go easy on yourself and be your own friend in that process. Uh, and those are the tools that I used in my recovery journey that I think hopefully people can take away and use in some of theirs. Stephen, that is wonderful. I've written those all out. And so people who are listening, you will find them in the show notes. And you can then reflect on each of the letters of the nine tools of challenge that Stephen Dowd has described for us. I do appreciate that there's a lot of information in there. Not all of them will be relevant to you. Uh, What I would suggest is probably pick one or two that you can really focus on and really drive forwards. Uh, But if anybody wants any additional information on any any of those, then feel free to reach out. I'm happy to talk about them. Now, Betsy, who was listening earlier, has reminded us that she's also an adaptive rower. Oh, fantastic. Well, if I can ask, that works that way. What um, what classification are you, Betsy? Well, we'll, we'll have to wait for her to reply because it only comes through as text chats. But hopefully we can continue the, that part of the question and answer a little bit later on. Now, one of the key things that your challenge structure gives you is an individual goal. But within that whole structure, you've mentioned that, sorry, Betsy's come back. She is PR2. PR2, okay, perfect. I'm only learning about these myself of recent times. So uh, I was talking to the Power Rowing Foundation, Marilyn Coblin in the US. And uh, so she gave me a full breakdown on on the PR categories. (laughs) And you are technically... Uh, technically, I would be PR3, uh, probably, I would guess. I'd be a weird one for the classifiers because I have, being a quadriplegic, it means that I've got um, uh, I've got limited, I've got limitations in all four limbs. Um, but actually, in reality, compared to most people that would have that limitation, I'm, I'm a lot better off. So I probably would sit in the PR3 camp, I would think. 
That's interesting. You still self-identify as a quadriplegic. Well, I am uh, technically. So, I mean, we call them tetraplegics here in the UK, but quadriplegics in in the states. Um, but because I have, uh, because I'm affected in all four limbs, then I do, and I still am affected in all four limbs, then uh, I do fall into that camp. Uh, I'm very lucky that I don't have the limitations that many people that carry that label do. Um, but that said, it's only a label at the end of the day. I mean, the, there are limitations and we face those limitations, those challenges, uh, and then we choose what we do with them. And uh, so there are certain things betsy with a pr2 uh classification obviously there will be things that she can do and certain things she can't do so she'll focus on the things she can do and she'll do them bloody well i'm sure uh, and i kind of do the same thing really you've obviously been taught to row extremely well looking at that little video with you on the rowing machine um you're not doing all the classic things that gym rowers do wrong so who's been your coach through this so i'm very lucky in as much as as i started to design enduro challenge one of the things I wanted to do was provide content to people who have never rowed before to get them involved. I would love Enduro Challenge to not just be stock full of rowers. I would love to build new numbers into rowing. I would love to build a diversity into those rowers, whether that be physical or socioeconomic or educational or racial or whatever it might be. Everyone everywhere and pulling together, as the strap line suggests. Um, but I'm very lucky. I bounced into a guy called Nick Baker. Uh, who people may well know. Uh, Nick Baker is the Team GB uh, Paralympic coach. And uh, so as I was talking to Nick, uh, I was suggesting what I wanted to achieve, and he was incredibly enthusiastic in, in getting behind that, to the point where he also helped me design and, and we distribute now some training videos, uh, some pro tip videos for Enduro Challenge. So not under, uh, he is obviously he's part of British Rowing, but it's, it's not done directly through British Rowing. Um, but Nick has given me his own time uh, to show people who are PR2, PR3, PR1, uh, the, the correct rowing techniques for them. Um, and we've also hooked up with another group called Robots, which is a rowing specialist gym here in the UK. And they've been able to also do some pro tips for us. Uh, around the correct exercises that you might do off the erg as well. So, um, yeah, it's been great along those lines. Just to give a total rounded view there, we also have another pro tip series, which is held by a guy called Dr. August Lemming, which is about psychology of rowing, about how you approach an event like the Enduro Challenge, which, again, you can use to not, – it's not just about the event. It's about giving people tools that they can use in their own life that they can absolutely use in a rowing challenge, but they can also use after the challenge is completed. And where can people find these pro tip videos? So endurochallenge.com, uh, we have them on the website itself. Uh, and there's also a YouTube uh, channel for Enduro Challenge uh, and the playlist there. There's a pro tips playlist. So that might be another way for people to find it too. Brilliant. Now, if people do want to get involved, it's February the 6th, 2021. Yep. How do they commit themselves to the challenge? So get yourself over to endurochallenge.com, register. I'm paying people's £10 ticket if you register in December. So if you get over there for the rest of this month, it will cost you like 35 pence as an admin fee. So lock it in right now. Um, and then you can decide if you want to roll or not later if you like. But effectively, lock it in now. I'll pay your ticket for right now. Uh, it will be £10 a ticket thereafter up to the event. But yeah, so once you've signed up, you're, you're in. Uh, and then we can talk uh, more about how we, like I say, the pro tip videos and the, the content that's coming out through the social media channels 
that will help you engage in the Enduro Challenge kind of family, uh, and, and we can do this together. So just to clarify, the spelling is Enduro, E-N-D-U-R-O-W, and then the word challenge.com. Absolutely. I'm seeing it on my screen at the moment, so I'm guessing it's probably on everyone's. It is if you're watching video, but this also oh. goes out an audio podcast so uh, for those who are listening it's a bit like them talking about the snooker and mentioning for people watching in black and white <laughs> that the red is the one next to the green <laughs> now do you have to row the full four hours the so challenge? the way I, the way i organized it was i wanted everyone everywhere to be able to play so i wanted one arm jimmy the schoolboy, and 80 year old elsie the grandma to row alongside bob the olympian it's really important for me that everyone gets to have a go and not everyone can row four hours. I won't be rowing the full four hours myself. I can't. My abs, after 15 minutes, will just literally say no, and I have to kind of get off and, and collapse in the corner for a bit. Um, however, uh, what's lovely about the four-hour row is that we can have it in one of two ways. So you can be an absolute beast and do the four hours on your own. You know, lots of people are doing that, uh, mostly military types and some of the extreme rowers, like transoceanic rowers and, and things like that. Um, so they'll be doing for full, full, the full four hours. However, if you wanted to create a crew, and that doesn't matter how many people you are, doesn't matter what country you're in, if you create a crew, uh, then your crew can row the four hours together. So you okay. might first 15 minutes and someone else might be do the next hour and then someone else might drop in uh, and do their time too. So you can cut and dice that four hours between you, your friends, your family, your colleagues, however you want. Um, but the fact that we're all doing it at the very same moment in time is we, we start together, we row together, we finish together. And that's that's the core message here. And other than recording your screen, how do you prove you've done it? Uh, well, to be honest, you you prove you've done it to yourself. Uh, we we what this isn't is another race. In fact, this was quite interesting because uh, the one of the differentiators I think that that I've had to overcome with a lot of people in the rowing community is that as an event that doesn't have a medal at the end. Uh, this is not about winners and losers. This is about people running together or rowing together. Um, this isn't about meters. This is about minutes. So I don't care how far you go. If you're on a crew or if you're rowing solo and you complete the four hours, then you've done your bit. You know, we've all come together to do that together. Um, and that's a bit of a differentiator because not being a rower, uh, I kind of came at this with a different lens. Um, and every other conversation I've had with rowers has always been, well, how far is it? And, uh, how quickly do I have to get there? And what, who, what's, where's first, second and third kind of stuff? And, and actually this turns that on its head. So in reality, if you row as part of the four hour challenge, then you are part of that community that's going for an unofficial world record, actually. This will be the world's biggest fully inclusive indoor row um, if we can get to the 10,000 number. Fantastic. Guinness World of Records, watch out. He might do it again and make it official. Absolutely, absolutely. Stephen, so if you want a world record event holder, then this is the event for you. <laughs> Stephen, it's been an absolute delight having you on Rowing Chat. Please tell the listeners where they might connect with you if they have any further questions. Of course. So stephendowd.com. So Stephen with a V, Dowd, D-O-W-D.com. Uh, drop me a line through there. I'm also very active on LinkedIn, uh, so I'm easily found. Uh, and if you want to drop me a direct message, I'll come back to everybody with any questions and answers that, that need to be done. But uh, yeah, I'd love to hear from your listeners. Fantastic. And thank you to everybody who's been listening live. 
uh, particular shout out to Betsy Owen Mitchell, uh, another PR2 rower from the USA. This has been Rowing Chat with me, Rebecca Caro. This show is part of the Rowing Chat Network, and you can get email notifications of our shows as they publish. Go to rowing.chat and you can join our mailing list. I do encourage people to tell their friends because that's what rowers are so good at, talking to each other about other rowing things. So if there's been something interesting today that you think, hmm, we could do that, and I sincerely hope that many of our listeners will choose to take the India Row Challenge on February the 6th. I look forward to seeing all of you there. And till next time, bye-bye. <laughs>